If you go to a thriving farmer's market in the U.S. today, it's hard to go to one of those markets and not have a mushroom farm there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, mushroom people are cool people. Welcome to the North Country Fruit and Vegetable Podcast. My name is Heather Bryant, and I am working on this project together with my UNH Extension colleagues, Olivia Saunders and Nick Rowley. The podcast is a COVID-friendly answer to the North Country Fruit and Vegetable Seminar and Trade Show, started by our retired colleague Steve Taraj approximately two decades ago. We plan to release five episodes of our podcast in the fall, and then in October, we will run a series of interactive lunchtime discussion sessions, one for each episode. During these sessions, we will be able to dive deeper into each topic. You can ask questions of the people we interviewed, other experts, or each other. The topics will center around issues and ideas of interest to farmers and people who choose to live a rural life. Thanks for joining us. My name is Nick Rowley. I'm a food and ag field specialist with UNH Cooperative Extension. My name is Elia Tanhauser. I'm a co-founder and CEO of North Spore, and I'm here with Lewis Giller. I've been with North Spore about four years, and I work on our production and do a lot of our event planning, uh, outdoor cultivation classes, indoor classes, foraging, uh, and other things as well. What is North Spore? What are you guys all about? Our mission is to make the world of mushrooms accessible to all. Um, and we do that through education and producing quality growing supplies for mushroom growing. And we started as a fresh mushroom farm and we expanded quickly into producing mushroom growing products. John Carver, my business partner, uh, went to graduate school for mushroom biology and started our mushroom lab. And we produce many, many different types of spawn, uh, sterile substrates, cultures, growing supplies, grow kits um, for indoor growing, outdoor growing as well as doing some farmer's markets and educational videos and walks and outreach. Um, and Louie does a lot of, of the educational events and organizes things like this podcast. And we're now in our seventh year and just excited to keep encouraging people to grow mushrooms, pushing innovation and mushroom growing. And, and how have you guys grown over those seven years? We've grown uh, quite quickly. It's we, it's kind of amazing for me to be where we are now. Louis has been with us for years. Um, I mean, even just since I joined, Norspor has changed a whole lot. Well, I, I wasn't here for it. He, Elia can speak on the, the early days using buckets to grow mushrooms. Uh, but when I joined... We were 12 people or so in the same space that we are now, but producing far less and far fewer products. I found out about you guys because I was just doing a little bit of my own like research on like where to get spawn and that sort of stuff. And I wasn't I didn't realize that you guys were right here. But I had seen your 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 home grow kits before. And actually, my friend had one on his counter uh, a couple of years ago, I think. And so I, I went to your website and I started looking like through like your educational stuff and what you offer. And I was like, this is awesome. 
And so when we started, you know, thinking about this podcast, I was like, uh, I, ho I hope those guys will answer my phone call. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> so yeah, thanks again. So, you know, this podcast is mainly for farmers um, or homesteaders or anybody in that sort of category. I guess my first question is, are, are you seeing farmers adopt mushroom culture as a way to diversify what they can offer? Yeah. And I actually, this is a subject that excites me um, because we started as uh, a fresh mushroom farm solely doing uh, and growing fresh mushrooms and selling to local restaurants and doing farmers markets and even doing uh, mushroom specific CSA. And so we have that experience and it's a little bit hard when you're just a mushroom farm to show up at a farmer's market and only be selling mushrooms, you know, for our bigger farmer's markets like Portland or Brunswick, um, we do pretty well because there's enough people. But if you show up in a small town farmer's market and all you have is mushrooms, you're not going to do a lot of sales where if you have vegetables, meat, eggs, you know, you're going to your gross sales are going to be higher because you have more staples that people are looking for. But I think that adding mushrooms into diversified farms is just like really makes sense because they're high value. They're easy to grow. They often can be grown on agricultural waste products that farms already have or logs, which they have access to. And their customers, whether they're CSA customers, restaurant customers, farmers market customers want mushrooms as well. Um, and like I said, they are a high value crop. So I think it's a really good supplement to an already like agricultural business. I've had farmers come up to me at the farmer's market and consult with me on adding that as a product. Uh, I've been invited out to farms, emailed lots of farmer interest in growing mushrooms for sure. I think a question I have, you know, coming from like a farmer's perspective is that and maybe you you know this because you, you were or and are still are a mushroom farmer is that like is there this perception from consumers only to want to trend towards like what they see in the the grocery store i know you guys offer like a wide variety of different mushrooms and you yeah. know are these people just want do they just want to buy those little you probably know the name of them i don't know the little white mushrooms you get in the package mm -hmm. That's a good question. And I do think people tend to want what they're familiar with. Um, but mushrooms are becoming a lot more popular. Like even in the seven years that I've been growing mushrooms commercially uh, and we've been in business, just the types of mushrooms that chefs at restaurants are wanting, that people are looking for at farmer's markets, that people are familiar with. Even if you go to Whole Foods or a co-op, the types of mushrooms that are probably going to be available there compared to seven years ago is a really different variety. Um, and I'll let Lou speak to this as well. But I, I think that there's some people that want to try new things um, all the time. There's some people that really want to stick with what they're familiar with. But I think Either way, people are getting more familiar with a wide range of mushrooms and the demand is there. And I'm seeing, I mean, we supply commercial mushroom farms with spawn and growing materials all over the country. And 
the amount of farmers markets that have just mushroom farms in the US has just exploded. You know, I don't, there weren't that many sole mushroom farms at farmers markets seven years ago. But I think if you go to a thriving farmers market in the US today, it's hard to go to one of those markets and not have a mushroom farm there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, mushroom people are cool people. Um, and uh, you whatever it is that puts that bug in their head to look into growing mushrooms. Uh, I think a lot of times people are ready for an open mind to be introduced to new species because they know that they don't know so much They're They recognize that they were brought up on portobellos and butt mushrooms and that and maybe they know shiitakes. And so um, they're ready for us to tell them what they can grow in in various situations. Yeah, I think you just described me. So, you know, and. You know, my background's through vegetable production and in, you know, the vegetable research I did, I was always trialing different varieties, different cultivars of certain vegetables. You know, there's different textures, tastes, flavors, storage life. And I'm sure there's a similar, you know, circumstance with different mushrooms. Is there any specific like mushroom? Is it would it be strain or species? Species, typically. Is there any specific species that you guys get wicked excited about well the the whole kind of model wouldn't be possible without the oyster mushroom that's the one that really allowed um you know north spore to be north spore uh and a lot of other mushroom farms and really uh oysters aren't new oysters have been around and even in grocery stores for for quite a while um but they're just really pretty easy to grow and strains have evolved as well. So there's new, new cool strains that have been selected for, um, and species that are yellow and pink. So that really has exploded in popularity. I think it all started with the oyster mushroom. Benefits of oyster are they grow really quickly. Um, they're, quite easy to grow they're abundant um and they're very mild in flavor and in my opinion like as far as taste goes they're just like a better version of a button mushroom or a portobello so you take people that that's all they've experienced and it's kind of like some people even say oh and i actually years ago was one of these people that didn't really think i liked mushrooms and that's kind of like saying, oh, you don't like vegetables, but the only thing you've ever eaten is broccoli. You know, there's so many different vegetables out there and there's so many different uh, mushrooms out there. And I kind of think of for people that are not familiar with mushrooms, uh, oyster mushrooms are kind of like the gateway mushroom. They're like the mushroom that's like not it's mild in flavor. There's not a lot that's going to turn people off uh, and they're delicious. And, you know, someone that maybe didn't like eating raw button mushrooms on salads as a kid, but's never had a really well cooked oyster mushroom. It just kind of like opens the door to like how amazing, like delicious mushrooms of different species can be. A, a couple points on that. First, always cook your mushrooms, especially oysters. You don't want to eat them raw on a salad like you might eat your buttons. Um Eating your butt and mushrooms that way, while I don't think it's preferable for a few reasons, 
Um, you should definitely not do that with oysters. You're not going to have a good time. Um, but, uh, uh, the, uh, I, I've got a great story just the other day, Kate, the lab tech and I taught a bunch of kids over at a, a community center called Portland community squash, uh, about mushrooms. And one of the stations we had was just cooking them some oyster mushrooms and not just a few, but maybe most of them were really hesitant, didn't think they'd like them. Let me tell you, they were asking for seconds and thirds. We fried them up in butter with some thyme, salt and pepper on some crackers. Delicious. It's making me hungry, too. Mm -hmm. I love that term, gateway mushroom. (laughs) 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 Sounds like something I shouldn't be doing. (laughs) But hey, um, so... You know, I, I asked you if, if it was like a species or a strain. I think that this would be a good time to talk about a little bit of the terminology here. So, like, what's the difference between a, a species and a strain when it comes to mushrooms? It really has to do with mating. Uh, and, and that's how it works with with other uh, with animals um, and plants as well. So um, mushrooms can mate with other mushrooms within the same species. Uh strain you are uh within that within those boundaries of uh of sexual reproduction um you can select for different physical characteristics and that's basically it you will get um differentiation enough that you can call it a new strain whether it's bigger stems or a color and then you can keep selecting for that but as long as that is able to mate um, with, with other mushrooms of the same species, it hasn't gone outside those bounds. And I think, you know, probably a lot of our listeners are, uh, familiar with like a similar concept when it comes to say maybe fruits and vegetables. Yeah. I mean, for, you know, for commercial farmers, this would be very, very similar to vegetables or you know there's different species and then there's tons of variety like a strain is basically a variety within uh, a species so you know if you're familiar with many varieties of different vegetable crops it'd be the same thing within the mushroom world that being said it's never that simple Um, (laughs) taxonomy is goes deep with subspecies and other levels um but not we don't deal in that <laughs> we don't we will talk about various strains and species and that's it can we just go over like an overview of what the general life cycle of mushroom is from i guess inoculation to harvesting or the fruiting body you may start with spores we are norse spore however we don't often start with spores most of the time we're starting with a tissue culture um, so it's literally a piece of a mushroom. And we put that on an agar plate, uh, which is just a nutritious gel. Um, uh, and we, we do that in a, in a sterile environment under a flow hood. There's a HEPA filter blowing clean air out. And, and the mycelium, which is the vegetative part of a mushroom, uh, will spread on that. And then we'll take a piece of that and put it on grain that has been uh, hydrated and sterilized, uh, in, and then when it's, and then it, that's food for it and it will spread and cover the grain. 
And from there, we can continue to extrapolate onto more grain or sawdust. And sometimes that sawdust is um, a, a formulation for fruiting off of directly. And sometimes that's to be used as spawn for spreading on an outdoor bed, for example. Um, so it's really just about that extrapolation from uh, uh, tissue culture in, in our case. However, you could go from spores. It's just takes longer, is less efficient, and the genetics will be variable. And with tissue culture, it's sort of like taking, it's sort of like grafting. Things always get more complex in the fungal world, um, but it is similar. Most commercial mushroom um, farming is done through cloning or like Lou is saying, taking tissue samples, putting them on other sterile substrates and then growing them on other substrates, which actually produce the mushrooms or fruiting bodies that you harvest. And that is analogous to like grafting apples where all those apple varieties are clones you know you're staying with the same genetics for consistency and that's what we do when we culture out the same variety or species of mushroom and you can you know people can grow apple trees from seed as you can grow mushrooms from spores but you're going to have genetic variability that is not usually desirable when you're a commercial uh, farmer. My research I've done, or just looking into this, I hate to call it research, but um, you know, there was, it seemed like there's like this outdoor log production and then there's indoor mushroom production. And I think a lot of farmers probably just getting into the mushroom game are gonna go for the log production if they're just, <clears throat> adding it as a product on their farm. So I was hoping we could dive into that topic a little bit. Um, so can we just go over, um, you know, how you would go about starting log production mushrooms on a farm? It's funny. I'll be in Boston or something and people will ask me, you know, where am I going to get a log? So pre <laughs> presumably you folks have access to plenty of fresh cut wood. So there that's key right there. You want fresh cut hardwood for most of our species. Um, there's a couple exceptions, but uh, for the most part, you want fresh cut hardwood. And we have a chart on our website um, kind of explaining which trees work with which species best. But the gold standard is shiitake on oak. That's the um most often used combo and works really really well so you want logs that are I, I like to say you should be able to lift them so you um they about three feet in length uh sometimes four four to six four to eight inches in diameter is is really good um again fresh cut wood during the early early spring is the best time to cut um, before when the when the sugars are flowing, but before those sugars are being used for leaf out for budding and stuff. Um, and uh, once you cut those things, um, you you drill holes and you inoculate with either plug spawn or sawdust spawn, uh, cover with some wax. Some cover the ends, some don't. Um, it uh, you can have a lot of success either way. Uh, and then it's mostly a waiting game. Um, keeping things uh, hydrated is really important, though, during that 
during that process. You can dunk logs uh, to to help the mycelium along. And then once things start growing after a year or two, uh, you can do what's called forced flushes. Okay, so we've got our logs. They're inoculated. Uh, you've waited a couple years, stacked up, you know, close together to hold on to moisture. Uh, and you may see the mycelium on the ends of the logs. The white stuff spread real nice. And so once you start seeing mushrooms fruit, you can every six weeks or so, uh, you can dunk the logs again and do what's called a forced fruiting. Uh, dunk them in a trash can or a trough or a pond, a stream, um, and leave them there for, you know, no more than 12 hours. Uh, I'd say you, you can drown your mushrooms. You can drown your logs. So you don't want to don't want to do that. And you, you, um, can get a whole lot of mushrooms that way. Shiitakes are, are really predictable in that, in that way. Um, and there's lots of varieties, some that are more adapted to cold weather, some warm ours is a wide range and will work in a lot of different climates. And the, the forced fruiting or forced flushes is, is pretty critical, um, for a lot of, commercial applications because mushrooms are sensitive to moisture and temperature and that will trigger fruiting and growth and you know like if you notice a lot of times in the middle of the summer after we've got a lot of rain you'll go out in the woods and there'll be mushrooms everywhere and if you just leave your large mushroom log crop up to that you'll be getting hundreds of pounds of mushrooms all at once when maybe if you only have two or three farmers markets that might be hard to sell 300 pounds of shiitakes in one time frame but if you staggered it by you know soaking 30 logs a week and made sure you had a consistent supply of shiitakes throughout the summer for your markets it's a lot easier um to kind of have that be a consistent source of revenue and harvest. Um, so that is like a kind of a technical harvesting, but business uh, like kind of thing to do as well. Um, and it does take about a year for the log to colonize once it's inoculated. So you wouldn't expect to get your first harvest for at least a year. I like to think about outdoor growing especially in logs is kind of like a pseudo perennial because those logs will produce and fruit for a number of years um i kind of sometimes i think about them as like maybe like a strawberry or an asparagus like they won't necessarily go forever um but they might go four five six years of production and if you you're constantly every year producing new logs you're kind of each year, your old logs are kind of being phased out and your new logs are coming into production. And so you have a nice, consistent um, yearly seasonal production of mushrooms. Um, and that, that works really well for people. I'd also uh, just add that you can actually inoculate really any time throughout the warmer months, like spring through early fall. It's just like Lou was saying, there's a period of leaf out in the spring when trees if you cut during the just budding out the bark retention tends to not be as good and then it can lose bark and the logs can dry out faster um, but you can cut 
during the summer and inoculate or in, like the really early spring is a great ideal time but um it's sometimes there's never a good time if you don't have time and so do it when you can the so shiitakes are sort of like the gateway mushroom using that term again a good one um for outdoor growing just as the oysters are the gateway for indoor growing but there are many others that are good for outdoor growing and they have their own requirements both with the wood that they need and the amount of time they might take uh etc when i was looking into doing this i think that that log question and and when to harvest it and when to inoculate is kind of what hung me up because i was like well this isn't really the best time and maybe i'll wait and then of course i had no time to do it so i didn't do it so like you know come this december or something you know can you just harvest harvest your logs and then set them aside you know for the winter and It'd be better to not wait that. So you, did it, so you said December, right? Yeah, somewhere like, yeah. you know, like I'm thinking after the growing season's done, maybe there's a little more time, you know. So I actually had a friend who has a mushroom business in Vermont, and he harvested uh, in December and January and inoculated in Jan- starting in January, February, March, which I would not do because when they're really cold they're not going to colonize it's sort of like you're getting the cells in the logs but the cells aren't they're dormant they're not going to do anything outside so i didn't like that idea i wouldn't do it but they actually in the spring the cells were just there like you know started being active and his logs colonized really well and that worked i would not i would suggest cutting a little later because basically when there's a mushroom in a log that you're propagating or in a tree and it's really cold temperatures it's it's dormant it's not the cells are not spreading in the tree there's not much going on and um it's sort of be like putting seeds in a bed at a low temperature like those seeds still might have the potential to grow well but they're not going to start germinating and like really doing their thing when it's cold so it'd be best if you were cutting like you know, maybe February or March um, and then inoculating because it's just warming up enough that you're getting those cells in the logs and it's at a warm enough time that they're starting to grow as soon as they're in the logs and they're just off to a head start. Um, so I'd wait a little past December. Um, but as I've seen people do, like you can even do it in the middle of the winter and it's not ideal, but it seems like it works. A lot of times we have to kind of walk that line between what's ideal and what's practical especially on the farm and nothing's ever perfect (laughs) just like the rest of life right yeah Um, going back to the staggering uh of the the logs how late into like i guess how early in the season can you start doing that and then how late in the season can you do that it really does again it's down to when is it warm enough for the cells to be really um start colonizing in the logs so it kind of even depends on your microclimate and whether they're you know how protected they are in the temperature but um you know even a bit above freezing they will do some colonizing so um you know i think it'd probably be ideal to inoculate between like march and i don't know 
the end of October or earlier in October in like Maine or New Hampshire, Vermont. But I think it really does kind of depend on the season and your temperature of where your specific location is. I concur. I was going to say end of October, because even if you had a few days warmer, it needs a few weeks, yeah. ideally, to to get established for and that mycelium to jump from the plugs yeah. or sawdust. The cool thing about mushrooms, too, is say if you like, you know, I don't know, hypothetically, you try to just germinate a tomato in October, you might get enough warm days for it to germinate and then it gets cold and it's gonna die like it's not the, the but mushroom cells because they're uh propagating through cell division much like a bacteria if you get a warm day they will grow and work on colonizing and then when it's cold again they'll go dormant and they won't die when they go dormant and then when it warms up again they'll keep and that's what's happening to your logs that's why they grow mushrooms every year and then go dormant in the winter so it's not as sensitive it really does even each day can affect the way they colonize and it's not as sensitive um, as a plant uh, germinating have you heard of people um, trying to force mushrooms like into the cold season, say like in a high tunnel or a structure like that? Is that is that possible? Yes. The answer is yes. You definitely can. People will bring them into basements or use high tunnels uh, to extend the season to allow for more colonization early on. Um, I think in uh, on big shiitake farms down in Arkansas, for example, they'll have big um it doesn't get as colder down there so it's a different situation but they use like big misters you know to keep things hydrated uh and so there's no reason you couldn't set something like that up this is something we're actually really excited about doing more research on in the future um so our facility is mostly indoors but we do plan on getting greenhouse space and getting more outdoor space to really do a lot of uh four season trials because we'd love to be able to push the envelope and help farmers be able to grow logs as you know and fruit and produce mushrooms as close to year round as possible and i think with season extension and greenhouse techniques especially with farmers that already have the greenhouses up that may be using them less heavily in the winter uh, i think there's a lot of potential to be doing that and it's something that we have not done a lot of trials on ourselves yet, but it's something we're really excited about doing and I think could really help the agricultural community. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's super awesome to hear that. I'm excited about that. So, you know, you can inoculate the log and you have a few options, right. Of what you do that with from my understanding, which is limited, <laughs> you, you can do plugs, sawdust or grain right well you you probably wouldn't um inoculate a log with grain in fact you definitely shouldn't uh that's just gonna get eaten uh by bugs or critters for sure uh and so it won't have time to to colonize so you want to use plugs or sawdust uh and then there are many species and many types of wood again uh just one that came to mind when we were talking about time lengths of time um, you can do shiitake on birch, for example, and it may not be as ideal. You may not get as much, but birch is a softer wood. 
the mycelium is going to be able to move through that material faster and you may not be waiting as long for mushrooms. So grain spawn tends to be used more for indoor cultivation or uh, sometimes for bed cultivation in wood chip beds or sawdust beds. Um, but for yeah, growing on logs, definitely sawdust spawn or plug spawn is most typical. Um, and something to think about in selecting uh, between those two types of spawns. I think plug spawn is really easy because it's in a dowel form. So you would drill a hole and hammer in an inoculated dowel. Um, and it really requires hardly any tools, just a drill bit and hammering in the plug. Um, but I do think it tends to be a little bit um, better for more of like your hobbyist or home gardener. Um, it, it colonizes a little bit slower than uh, sawdust spawn. It's also a little bit more expensive because it's more labor intensive for us to produce. And it's also slower to process the logs. There's some tools you can get that aren't that expensive, an inoculation tool, um, an angle grinder adapter, and a specialized drill bit that work really good with sawdust spawn, and it speeds up the process a lot. So, you know, for a home gardener, even a few hundred dollar investment in tools might be something they don't really want to do. But if you're doing it commercially and you're planning on producing hundreds of logs, it's definitely worth going to the sawdust spawn um, and the spawn itself is cheaper, so you can do more logs with it. And then just the amount of efficiency and speed to produce logs is a lot faster. So for people that are doing this commercially, I definitely suggest sawdust spawn over plug spawn. Very much second that. I mean, it's it's probably a a third or a quarter of the time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. And so buying buying that really a small investment of equipment to do that. You know, we sell some really uh, great hand tools and power tool adapters for increasing efficiency, but there's actually from Japan and Asia, there's even automated systems that you can buy to inoculate logs very, very rapidly. Um, we don't, sell those and they're very rare in the u.s um but they exist in the world and for people that are doing thousands of logs that's often the type of uh, system they're using you definitely recommend that ankle grinder and then the adapter for the drill bit over over to say just a drill yeah definitely it really speeds it up and the even the specialty mushroom bit which is just one bit it has a, a collar so it hits a special depth it discharges the um the shavings in the right direction it's a high speed bit so it just it cuts really quickly and you know it's just it's a it's a very small tool but it, it makes a big difference from a normal drill bit yeah once you get above a few logs uh, the plugs also take up more space. And so one bag of sawdust spawn can inoculate far more uh, logs, maybe 30 uh, or so, give or take, as opposed to like a bag of maybe 500 plugs that can do like half that. And how, how so they're on dowels. How long are each one of these plugs? 
I, this is it. I should totally know this. I think they're an inch. I think they're an inch long. Yeah, an inch, inch and a and a little bit. Maybe they're they look like the little plug, little um, dowels that you might make furniture with, yeah. and they uh, they're probably made of like birch a lot of the time, and uh, angle grinder uh, tools, angle grinder adapter tools will often j- just have a stopper ours do yeah. that is the exact length for uh your plugs so what about bed production yeah um so bed cultivation is another really productive um great way to grow mushrooms on a farm it's uh, like we mentioned with the log cultivation and the forced flushing and fruiting, it's a lot harder to control the timing of your harvest. So that can be one challenge, but it's also much less labor and can be extremely productive. Um, so you could grow wine caps are really popular to grow in wood chip beds. Um, it's good to use at least a 50% hardwood wood chip uh, mix, but you can just create um you know, home gardeners often even just do this in the wood chip paths in their garden, but a commercial grower could have designated wood chip beds or wood chip mulch on trees or whatever and mix in the wine cap spawn. And uh, wine cap are just very vigorous and grow very abundantly. And it's a good way to almost like do something once that's about the same amount of work as mulching and then have another high value crop that's there when it grows that's ready to harvest um it is hard to predict when it's going to grow um you know it's pretty weather and temperature dependent the um harvesting but you can also do that with oyster mushrooms as well um and again compared to indoor growing or log growing it's a little less uh, predictable of when you're going to harvest but it's very easy the amount of labor is just prepping a wood chip bed uh, mixing in spawn, maybe keeping it watered occasionally. And, you know, you're going to get mushrooms out of that bed. So um, Lou can chime in on this too. But I do think if you're kind of just want to start with a low investment of time and money and resources and just go for a bed and see what the production is, it's a really good way to like start to dabble in mushroom growing. The technique for for these species is very easy we call it the lasagna method you really just layer in spawn and then uh, woody material so uh, on that note you really can experiment with any agricultural waste that you have on the property uh wine cap we mentioned that you should have at least a, a, a nice chunk of it be hardwood but oysters have been grown off of probably more things than any other mushroom out there and so uh, that could be really fun and successful growing off of uh, whatever you got. Um, you can also grow chestnuts uh, and and namaco, which are related mushrooms. And there's some other things you could play around with, too, um, that may not be quite as level one kind of beginner. Like, for example, the bluet you could you could try and grow um, to to diversify. Yeah. What what I really think's neat about this this mushroom production, whether it be logs or you know the bed cultivation, is that you can use areas of your farm that that are 
not good for other things. And it's like the cool thing too about, I mean, logs sometimes, most people have, that have a farm have access to logs, but um, with the beds, you know, literally you can use sawdust or wood chips or just, you know, like complete waste products in a damp part of your property or a wooded part of your property that, you know, would not be a place that you would cultivate anything else. And that actually might be the best place for mushrooms to grow. So it does really complement, you know, kind of geographic locations on your farm where the mushrooms are going to grow well, but it's out of the way of where it's going to be heavily used for another crop. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, we talked about like watering them, the environment they need to be kept in. Um, and maybe you mentioned this a little bit, but it, as far as like putting them outside and like stacking them, I've seen, I've seen people run like a wire through the, through the woods and then lean them on it. Is that, is that what you would recommend or are there other options or is it? Yeah, that's so you can actually for the first year when they're colonizing before they're going to be growing mushrooms, you could even stack them kind of like a wood pile like it could be log on log. You don't want them right in the soil because they can start to rot. So you might want to put them on a pallet or on some bricks or just anything to get them just a little bit off the ground or on a barn floor, you know, something just a little bit uh, out of the dirt. Uh, or soil um but once they are starting to grow and fruit and ready to harvest they can't be all stacked on each other like a wood pile because they'll just grow into other wood and you won't be able to harvest them so having them on a wire or leaned up against a fence or even you can cradle stack them like a log cabin anything that you can they get airflow have space to grow and you can get your hands in there to harvest them um, is really advantageous so once your logs are in or have you know aged enough that they're colonized and ready to fruit um, you do want them to be leaning on something or in a cradle or a way that they have airflow space to grow and you can pick them and i i did see um a stacked pile of inoculated logs with uh shiitake the other day that somebody had started but i think abandoned um because they had moved on to a different position it was on this farm. And so I was in looking at it the other day and I could see that there was shiitakes like in there, but they were like growing and yeah. they were pushing into the other log. Yeah. And I think they probably should have been harvested. It won't stop them from fruiting. They're still going to grow in fruit, but they're just going to smush into other logs and kind of be default, you know, not be sellable. Um, and, and if there's no space, they'll just kind of try to grow wherever they can. But, um, yeah, it's definitely a little sad when they get forgotten like that, but they're still happy growing. <laughs> and you're going to need to check your these logs often because bugs like mushrooms, slugs like mushrooms, even deer will nibble on mushrooms from time to time. And so you're going to need to get there first and, and monitor your, your logs closely. Louie, you read my mind. Can you see my questions from over here? <laughs> this is literally my next question um, to slugs, deer. Squirrels. Yeah, a lot of things will take little bites out of your mushrooms. Uh, and, and at that point, you really can't sell them. The worst is, is bugs and slugs. 
And so just getting there quick, a note on harvesting, you should try and get things younger rather than older. Uh, the margin, the edge of the cap, you want it with most of most species, actually, you want the, the cap to still be like curved over. You don't want it to have flattened out completely. Uh, it has better shelf life that way, um, is um, more easily marketable, sometimes tastier. You would kind of think of it as like, I mean, this is a pretty bad analogy, but a little bit like an umbrella shape versus like a flat umbrella is not a good thing. Like you don't want it to like get too like flat. You still want it to be like a bit bell shaped and uh, like Louis describing. After you harvest it, how long can you hold on to that mushroom before you have to say like, it's time to th- put it in the compost pile or throw it away? And I guess, are there certain like environmental conditions that you can create to extend that storage life, like put it in a bag or something like that? Paper bags, you know, for a consumer or someone in their fridge does really well because basically um, if there's too much moisture, the mushroom can rot. And if there's too little, it can dry out. Um, so in a walk-in cooler, you know, in some kind of harvesting bin that has a little bit of airflow, but not a ton of airflow is really ideal. And under good conditions, they can last a week to 10 days and still look pretty nice, depending on the species. Different species last um, for different amounts of time, but um, you don't want to store it in a plastic bag totally sealed off. And you also, if you just had it totally out in the open, they'd still be totally edible, but they just dry. They'd get really dry, which wouldn't be ideal either. So, um, you know, if I take them home to just eat at home, I just put them in a paper bag and that kind of lets a little bit of moisture in and out, but not a lot, uh, which works pretty well. But commercially, we actually have special stackable plastic mushroom bins uh, that have a lot of perforation in them. So by being stackable, they see each top seals the other one from having a lot of airflow. But because of the perforation, um, they let some airflow through. So it's probably pretty similar to a lot of like vegetable harvesting um, bins. And one more note on that, you you should try with some mushrooms again, with shiitakes this isn't the case but like with oysters you may not want to stack them too deep uh so a single layer if possible is better and will um, add to that shelf life yeah so i can see that being um really useful in terms of like i've planned out my flush of when the mushrooms are going to come and i have a market you know this day this day and this day and so you know, flush those mushrooms out, harvest them, and then store them for maybe that period, and then look into your your, your next flush. So you stagger that that harvest throughout the growing season. Yeah, absolutely. That can be it. Can be tricky to know. Okay, I have a market this day. Do I? I have, I'm watching some mushrooms grow. Do I harvest them now, younger, knowing that they're going to have a longer shelf life, or do I harvest them later? And when they're a little bit older. One thing that I'll say, and I think it's kind of the beauty of uh, people getting to buy mushrooms from local mushroom growers and at farmers markets or restaurants. But 
I have definitely become a mushroom snob. Um, and what the mushrooms you see, even specialty mushrooms you see at Whole Foods or in a lot of grocery stores are totally edible, totally uh, like good mushrooms, but they are so haggard and beat up and like just look like, I mean, mushrooms, you know, are delicate. And like the amount of handling and time they're getting from coming from some big mushroom farms, it's like by the time the consumer's getting them, they're just cracked, dried out and look like in my mind, like just mushrooms are so haggard. But the amazing thing about people getting to get local mushrooms is it's just, uh, you know, a quality of mushroom and and also just like i don't know the beauty of the mushrooms that you would not be able to get anywhere else because they are so delicate um and fragile what's like what's the biggest mistake you see new mushroom producers doing i think one thing is um patience a lot of times because people are so unsure uh about how they're doing it and they don't necessarily feel that confident they'll do inoculate a bunch of logs and then you know nine months later even a year later and just think it didn't work but you know whatever maybe the timing or the season was a little colder and maybe those logs took a year and a half to colonize before they're gonna grow and so a lot of times i have people tell me that it didn't work. And sometimes something went wrong, but a lot of times I just tell them just, you know, be patient and keep keeping an eye on them. And, um, you know, they often are still successful. And, you know, those logs you saw on the farm the other day, who knows, maybe someone just really went and did something else and abandoned them, but maybe they kind of gave up because they didn't have patience. So I see people, um, kind of giving up too quickly. Um, just because it's like a new experience for them and not realizing that, you know, it does take time before you get your first harvest. Definitely that. Very, very important. I've had people come up to me and say, you know, my logs didn't work uh, and I threw them out. I said, well, when did you do them? Oh, eight months ago. Well, you didn't wait long enough. You know, you didn't give it that time. Sometimes it's more like a year and a half. You know, it's not super exact. Uh, a couple other things come to mind. Sometimes people sort of ignore the species rules and they should not. Uh, I've had people come up to me and talk about inoculating and it's not till halfway through the conversation that I realized they inoculated white pine or something. And that's why it's not going to work. Um, and so they didn't really pay much attention to their wood species. Uh, another thing is the age of the wood you really should get wood as fresh as possible. Some people intentionally will let the wood rest for a few weeks, um, up to a month even after it's cut. Uh, and that can, that can be okay. But after a few months of, you know, warm weather, there are competitors. It does not work as well. And it's not worth the hard work and that you put yeah, in. One of the biggest things that, when people really do have failure um, is drying out. And so like Louis is saying, the good thing about cutting a healthy living tree is that tree has a lot of moisture in it. It was just growing. Um, and when the wood gets old, 
it can both be quite dried out and it can have other wild fungi already growing in it. Um, so some things to really make sure, I'd say one of the biggest things of failure is drying out, is having freshly cut wood, also trying to keep it in an area that's not super windy or sunny. Um, you know, it doesn't, it is outdoors. It can be under some trees or in a shadier area, but you do want to try to prevent it from drying out. And then also waxing over the holes properly. Sometimes people don't do that. And what will happen is if you don't wax properly, or sometimes people even forget to wax, the plugs of the sawdust spawn will literally just dry out very quickly. Like they might dry out in three weeks and not even get to colonize because all the moisture that was in that plug or that sawdust spawn just was the wind or whatever just dried it out. But having the wax cover over it really retains that moisture and those cells are still vibrant and vigorous and are growing into the log. Um, so really being conscientious about uh, preventing the logs from drying out, I think is important. Great, great. Thank you. And then I think just kind of one one fun question at the end. Do each of you have a favorite mushroom? Probably a tough question for a guy with a mushroom shirt. <laughs> it is a tough question, and it can depend on the year and the day and this part of the season. Whether you're talking about wild mushrooms or cultivated mushrooms, do you have? Do you want me to talk about cultivated mushrooms, or why? Or can wilds be in the yeah, in the sure. list? Put, put a wild a wild card in with with wilds. There are a lot out right now, so it's on the brain. Uh, in the fall, we get it's not maybe maybe one you guys have heard of hen of the woods, uh, Griffola frondosa, is just fantastic and it's so exciting that you can get big ones. They can be you know twenty pounds or so. You can get giant giant ones, so they're plentiful and they are just so good. Uh, I really really do like them a lot. Uh, I think they're better than chicken of the woods and more consistent. Uh, so that's really one of my favorite. I'm always very excited when that comes around. I feel like I have to answer that with three mushrooms there, but I one of my favorite, um, wild mushrooms is a black trumpet. I just, they have such a unique, delicious flavor. Um, and then for cultivated mushrooms, I really, even though they're pretty common, I really love shiitake's um and king trumpet oh for for cultivated i'm gonna agree with uh with alaya and say that the king trumpet and shiitake are probably my favorite cultivated too thank you once again alaya thanks louis for meeting with me down here today in westbrook maine I'd, i've really enjoyed this conversation with you both thanks nick awesome thank you so much nick Thanks again for joining the conversation about agriculture in the North Country. And be sure to check out our webpage, extension.unh.edu forward slash north, where you can find this podcast, information about the North Country Fruit and Vegetable Conference, and instructions for participating in episode discussions. The North Country Fruit and Vegetable Podcast is a production of University of New Hampshire Cooperative Extension, an equal opportunity educator and employer. Views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the university, its trustees, or its volunteers. Inclusion or exclusion of commercial products in this podcast does not imply endorsement. 
the University of New Hampshire, U.S. Department of Agriculture, and New Hampshire counties cooperate to provide extension programming in the Granite State. Learn more at extension.unh.edu.